Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hogo and Figle Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, AU chairperson pays tribute to struggle icon Mamawini Matigizela Mandela. Former South Sudan political prisoners join opposition alliance and health experts call for fresh strategies to tackle antibiotic resistance. In economics news, Trafigura signs three-year cobalt deal with DRC-based Chemaf. And in sports news, the Commonwealth Games kick off in Australia's Gold Coast. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Opposition candidate and former military junta leader Julius Madabayo has been sworn in as Sierra Leone's new president. This hours after the Elections Commission announced his victory in a runoff poll. Bayo was sworn in by Chief Justice Abdullahi Hamid Cham at a hotel in the capital Freetown. Swearing in ceremonies normally takes place in the State House. But Bayo broke tradition by holding it shortly after the National Electoral Commission announced he won in the March 31st runoff. Bayo, who briefly ruled Sierra Leone as head of a military junta in 1996, will replace outgoing President Ernest Baikaroma, who could not seek re-election due to term limits. Brazil's Supreme Court has ruled that former President Lula da Silva be imprisoned while he appeals his corruption conviction. Da Silva is facing 12 years in jail on charges of accepting a bribe, but had asked to remain free during his appeal. He claims the charges are politically motivated and designed to prevent him from running in Brazil's October presidential election. Polls suggested da Silva is the top candidate in the race. The Supreme Court judges ruled against him by 6 to 5 after a marathon session. The South African Communist Party, the SACP, says it will not offer support to former President Jacob Zuma during his impending fraud and corruption trial. Zuma will on Friday appear at the Durban High Court in KwaZulu-Natal province to face fraud, corruption and racketeering charges. The charges stem from the arms deal of the late 90s. The SACP was at the forefront of supporting Zuma during his court appearance in 2005. However, the party started distancing itself from him amid allegations of corruption and state capture. 
The ruling ANC has said that people can support Zuma in their personal capacity, but not as party members. General Secretary of the South African Communist Party, Bladen Zimande, gives his party's position. Definitely not. We, we are of the view as the SACP that now we really do need to respect the courts. The courts have come around to establish that this case must go ahead and we will abide by that. We won't be outside the court this time around. At that time we were really convinced that there was serious abuse of state institution to fight and settle internal scores. We were convinced. So let's allow the, 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 the process to take its course. South Africa's ruling ANC's entire National Executive Committee is expected to visit the late struggle icon Winnie Madikizela Mandela's home in Soweto in Johannesburg to pay their respects. Madikizela Mandela passed away on Monday at the age of 81. Scores of dignitaries and prominent personalities on Wednesday visited the home of the anti-apartheid icon. President Cyril Ramaphosa has declared a special official funeral to honor the woman who became the face of anti-apartheid resistance for a period spanning three decades. Tsepo Ikaneng reports. The home of the late ANC stalwart Winnie Matikizela Mandela has been transformed into a site of a pilgrimage as hundreds of people continue to visit, clad in regalia of various political parties, admirers of the struggle icon burst into struggle songs to celebrate the life and times of a fiery freedom fighter whom many refers to as the mother of the nation. Amongst those who came to pay a visit to her home in Soweto were former President Jacob Zuma, current Deputy President David Mabuza and leaders of various political parties. Members of the clergy also made way into the heavily guarded compound which has also become an attraction for foreign tourists. And finally, thousands of Americans have rallied in Memphis, Tennessee in the United States to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the death of civil rights leader Martin Luther King. Bells have tolled in cities across the U.S. 39 times, one for each year of King's life, to mark the exact moment he was gunned down by a sniper. The crowd observed a minute of silence. King's eldest son, Martin Luther King III, says it's unacceptable that 48 million Americans still live in poverty. Among those who addressed the gathering was prominent African-American leader, Jesse Jackson. Brothers and my sisters, it's a bit difficult standing here again today. I've been blessed by God to come back here 50 years later. And every time the scab comes off, the soul is still raw. The blood still loses. And that's the news. It lands at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Africa, rise and shine.
Afrika Zora Afrika amka na unai entire National Executive Committee of South Africa's ruling ANC will today visit the late South African struggle icon Mamawini Matigizela Mandela's home in Soweto to pay their respects. Matigizela Mandela passed away on Monday at the Mill Park Hospital in Johannesburg. She was 81. Scores of dignitaries and prominent personalities yesterday visited the home of the anti-apartheid icon. President Sil Ramaphosa has declared a special official funeral to honor the woman who became the face of anti-apartheid resistance for a period spanning three decades. Tsepoe Kaneng has The home of the late ANC stalwart Winnie Mandela has been transformed into a site of a pilgrimage as hundreds of people continue to visit led in regalia of various political parties, admirers of the struggle icon burst into struggle songs to celebrate the life and times of a fiery freedom fighter who many refers to as the mother of the nation. Amongst those who came to pay visit to her home in Soweto were former President Jacob Zuma and Deputy President David Mavuza who addressed the media after spending close to two hours with the bereaved family. Let's all celebrate this life, a life well lived. We draw courage, we draw inspiration, and we draw hope from this life that was well lived. We want to say to our people, wherever they are, let them find time to remember this leader. They will be afforded that opportunity wherever they will are. Those that are close, they are welcome to come and visit the family. Members of the clergy also made way into the heavily guarded compound, which has also become an attraction to foreign tourists. The president of the South African Council of Churches, Bishop Siposile Siwa, says Winnie Mandela has left behind a rich legacy. She leaves us with a, a legacy of courage, legacy of commitment and uh, also sticking uh, to the values and being prepared to suffer for the values and her own beliefs uh, in the free South Africa. We hope that many more will be born, many more will take a leave from, his, from her courage and her commitment and her preparedness to suffer for the sake of, of, uh, of others. We salute her. African Union Commission Chairperson Musa Faki Muhammad has also joined the members of the Diplomatic Committee in visiting Madigizela Mandela's home. She is one of 
the last of our liberation heroes on the continent. It is my uh, duty and my obligation, and it's also my honor to be here today like uh, others before me and uh, those who will follow, to come share the grief of a continent for the passing of Mawini Mandikizela Mandela. She was a symbol of fierce resistance against oppression, against the violence of apartheid, and for equality of women in South Africa and on the continent. She never compromised, yet she lost so much, and she kept on going. Today, the ANC's entire National Executive Committee will visit her home in Soweto, Tsepoikaneng, in Soweto, south of Johannesburg. A real lioness in the struggle for liberation. liberation. Rest in peace, mother of the nation. The Eastern Cape province of South Africa continues to mourn the passing of the fearless anti-apartheid heroine Mamawini Matikizela Mandel. The Western Pondo Land Kingdom and ruling ANC veterans have paid tribute to her, calling her a beacon of hope. They say this liberation giant has left an indelible mark in the liberation struggle. Fundiswa Mtlegute reports from Tata. Well, fighting a good fight that we all want to be free and lead an equal life for everyone. But the Lord, who has been so good, carried her all this time and let her succeed in some of her efforts. And up to now, we feel that she was a great fighter. She was one of the icons of women who we can look back and say, this is the road which has been well run. This is the road which all of us should try. This is one of the struggle icons, Laura Mpashwa. The 89-year-old anti-apartheid activist is the mother to South Africa's ambassador to Mozambique, Mandis Mpashwa. She spent time with Mama Matigizela Mandela in the liberation struggle. Mpashwa says, though Matigizela Mandela endured so much pain, she never betrayed the struggle during the apartheid era. She has been fighting her own home affairs and her own in-laws affairs and her own children's affairs but she succeeded in most of those things and her name was almost on every lip in our country nobody missed a beautiful woman like her well-dressed woman nicely duped woman a smile full of joy a smile which caught everybody's glove Meanwhile, Amambondo King Ndamase Ndamase hailed Matikizela Mandela for her love for the people of Mbizana in the eastern Pondoland, where she was born. The monarch says Matikizela Mandela had pledged to build decent toilets at the school after a five-year-old fell and drowned in a pit latrine at Luna Junior Secondary School outside Mbizana early last month. Mama, we heard about a child who died through the dry pit toilets at school, and she sent... Prince Matigizela to the school so that uh, she could help or donate or do something better or safe for the children at school. Uh, so today uh, they had an appointment with Prince Matigizela, but uh, sadly nobody knew that today should be gone. 
Matikizela Mandela's Provincial Memorial Service will be held at her hometown of Mbizana in the Eastern Cape on Tuesday. I'm Fundisom Tlekude in Mtata. Eleven former South Sudanese political detainees have joined nine opposition political parties with the express mission of bringing the ongoing ethnic fighting to an end. Channel Africa's James Shimangula has more. A new dawn of a peaceful atmosphere appears to be on the horizon in South Sudan, where for the first time in five years, 11 former political detainees have joined nine opposition parties with the express purpose of working as a strong team to restore permanent peace in Africa's newest nation. The detainees were in 2013 accused of plotting to topple President Salva Kiir, but they were freed by a Juba High Court after it ruled that there was no concrete evidence to sustain convictions against them. The detainees have been attending past rounds of peace talks as a separate entity from the nine opposition parties. But now the former detainees and the nine opposition parties will work jointly to ensure the success of the next round of talks to take place in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia on the 26th of this month. Coast Manibe is one of the former detainees. Manibe confirms and affirms that his colleagues and leaders of the nine opposition political parties have signed a charter that binds them together to speak with one voice during the coming peace talks. We have signed that charter that we can no longer uh, tolerate the continuation of a senseless war when we know that it can be ended must end this war, that there is no, absolutely no reason for the war and the violence to continue. Former detainee Kostman Ibe asserts that the Juba administration still persists that the 2015 peace agreement should not be changed and that it should remain as it was without changes. Manibe spotlights on the prevailing tough Juba administration's position in the light of the fact that the next round of peace talks in Addis Ababa is just three weeks away. What is their position in Addis? Their position in Addis is that there should be no change in the agreement, that the agreement should be implemented exactly as it was signed in 2015. With the former detainee Coast Manibe's remarks still lingering in the mind, and with the Juba still maintaining a tough stand, Ahead of the Addis Ababa peace talks, it may be imperative to hear what he and his colleagues think should be done now. In our view, what needs to be done is to address the problem and resolve it. As we stand now, the government is broke. It doesn't have money. It is unable to pay the army. That was Kostman Ibe, one of South Sudan former detainees. Another former detainee, Pagana Mum, who worked as Secretary General of the ruling Sudan People's Liberation Movement before he was fired by President Kiri, devotes a couple of seconds on the crisis that has arisen in his country. It is a crisis of leadership that has lost vision, that has lost direction, and has separated from the core values of SPLM, the values that underpin the struggle of the SPLM and the people of Sudan and South Sudan in particular. The loss of vision has resulted into this crisis, as it is in the proverb that where there is no vision, 
people perish. The people of South Sudan are perishing today because of loss of vision. That was the voice of Pagana Mum, former Secretary General of South Sudan Ruling Party, Sudan People's Liberation Movement, in short, SPLM. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Thank you for Thank being you an inspiration. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Former Zimbabwean First Lady Grace Mugabe is being sued for defamation of character by the artisanal miners whom she has accused of stealing computers at her orphanage home in the district. Directors of Mondo 4 Mine Claim at Smithfield Farm in Mazowe allege Grace made a false report at Mazowe Police Station implicating them in theft of 31 computers. Simon Muchemo has more from Harare. The former first lady in Zimbabwe, Grace Mugabe, has finally fallen from grace and faces some defamation charges owing to false claims she made to the police last week. Grace Mugabe made a police report claiming some illegal gold miners had invaded her farm in Mazoe and damaged irrigation equipment and stole several laptops at the orphanage. However, directors of a registered Mondo for mine claims in Mazoe near Grace Mugabe's orphanage have dispelled the former lady's claims citing abuse since 2014. The miners also claim Grace has been interfering with their mining operations resulting in them losing an unspecified amount of money since 2014 when a son, Rasio Goreraza, invaded the farm for mining purposes. Although owners of the Mondo for Mine approached the courts for interdicts from 2014, of which high courts ruled several times in their favor, police in Zimbabwe failed to enforce the court rulings. The small-scale miners allege Grace was verbally and physically abusive, used a position as first lady to grab farms and mines in Zimbabwe, leading to loss of income. One of the mine co-owners, Milton Nyajigo, revealed Tuesday they are suing Grace for all the abuse and false allegations. I want to give the official position on the operations of Shepard Nyajigo and partners pertaining to a case of Shepard Nyajigo versus the former first lady 
Grace Mugabe. I want the nation to know that Shepard Nyashigo is mining legally and operating within the laws of this country. These men, they are not illegal miners, as was said by the former first lady. Milton Ede. She further went to accuse uh, Shepard Nyashigo of abusing children and stealing, which is not part of what they do. Uh, the issue of Shepard Nyashigo and partners in the Grace Mugabe is before the courts. And in January 2018, there was a court interdict uh, which was issued barring Gushungo Holdings not to interfere with the proceedings or the operations at Shepard Nyashigo's mine. Unfortunately, this order was not followed by Grace Mugabe through interfering with oper operations and defying the court order. Another follow-up application was done to the court to stop uh, Grace Mugabe from interfering with the operations at the mine. According to the mine owners, the mine is licensed and has at least five gold claims 10 kilometers from Grace Mugabe's orphanage. Due to the interference, the mine owners have lost in excess of 100,000 US dollars worth of gold and mining equipment worth close to a million dollars. Shepard Nyajigo explained. Because she was given the protection order, she was now just using the muscle, political muscle, the expropriator, surrounding farms. There were so many miners who were unable to go further because they were now threatened one way or the other. Philip Makanya, one of the directors, said Grace issued threats against the mine owners if any story had been written against her despite court rulings in which she lost. We sued Grace Mugabe, but she threatened us with unspecified action once a story had been written, although the court's rulings were in our favor. Meanwhile, Home Affairs Minister Obetum Pofu has accused Grace Mugabe of lying regarding the mining ownership in Mazoe. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. A new study which has documented a dramatic rise in global antibiotic consumption has led public health experts to call for fresh strategies and policies to tackle antibiotic resistance, often described as one of the biggest threats to global health. The latest study was published in the U.S. Scientific Journal, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and it found that on average, poorer nations still use antibiotics far less intensely than richer ones. Professor Mark Mendelssohn is the chairperson of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Antimicrobial Resistance for South Africa. This is now the largest study on antibiotic consumption globally, and it's shown us that there's an extremely concerning increase in the total global use of antibiotics by around 65% between the years 2000-2015. And the amount of increase in low- and middle-income countries, which include South Africa, in total is even greater at 114%. So what it's showing us and reconfirming to us 
is that we are using far too many antibiotics. So how did we get here? What has driven the overuse and misuse of antibiotics? Well, part of the use of antibiotics is appropriate. So let's take that first. In low and middle income countries, as opposed to the high income countries, we have a very high burden of infections. And South Africa is no different in that regard to other similar countries. So you'll know that we have very high burdens of TB, we have very high burdens of HIV here in South Africa as well, but we also have a very high burden of common bacterial infections that affect the everyday population. So those include urinary tract infections, pneumonias, meningitis and others which are caused by bacteria. So part of the use of antibiotics is appropriate and is driven by the need to treat infections. However, what we also know is that antibiotics are being used inappropriately. So antibiotics are seen as a cure-all for basically any symptoms and many diseases like the common cold and others which are not caused by bacteria. And antibiotics really only affect and only treat bacteria. So the more we use antibiotics for things that are not needed, this inappropriate use drives resistance. Because the bottom line is the more antibiotics you use, the more resistant bacteria will be formed. And that means that we need to use more and more higher-end antibiotics, antibiotics of last resort, which is what this has also shown. And when was the last time that a new class of antibiotics was discovered? There is somewhat a rejuvenation of the antibiotic pipeline going on at this moment, but it's usually cited that it's 28 years or so since the last new class of antibiotics has been found. But the major issue is our overuse and inappropriate use of the antibiotics that we have now. And that in part also relates to the fact that we aren't able to prevent people getting bacterial infections effectively enough. The main issues that we want to see and that this report highlights again is that we need to really act on our prevention measures and those include ensuring that all people that need vaccinations are fully covered by the vaccination program in South Africa, that we improve the water quality There have been recent studies in India which show that if you improve the water quality and ensure clean, safe water, that you reduce childhood diarrhea diseases, and that is one of the drivers of antibiotic use. And we also know that in our healthcare facilities, when we practice good hand hygiene, that that reduces the transfer of bacteria and reduces the use of antibiotics. So we really need to act far more on the prevention measures to actually prevent people getting sick in the first place and therefore prevent them needing the antibiotics. What about having more efforts to encourage more prudent use of antibiotics? Do you think that could help? Absolutely. The issue to improve the appropriate use of antibiotics really starts at a level of awareness and education. So we need far more awareness campaigns globally. We also need to educate both our healthcare professionals in the better use of antibiotics. We need to have a very frank dialogue discussions between ourselves as healthcare professionals and the public to really help understand why antibiotics are important and why not misusing them is important. And then we need to put into place these practices which are infection prevention practices and also what we term antibiotic stewardship, 
which is basically the appropriate use of antibiotics to improve the management of the patient and to reduce the risk of driving antibiotic resistance. That's Professor Mark Mendelssohn, chairperson of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Antimicrobial Resistance for South Africa, on the line speaking to Elizabeth Ludicha. Our, our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines opposition candidate and former military junta leader Julius Madabayo is sworn in as Sierra Leone's new president just hours after the Elections Commission announced his victory in a runoff poll. The United Nations Security Council urges the government of Burundi to engage in meaningful talks with the opposition ahead of the 2020 elections and the South African Communist Party will not offer support to former President Jacob Zuma during his impending fraud and corruption trial. Those are the stories making headlines. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. Ngatani, in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Freedom Fight. Freedom Fight. Mother. Mother. Natura. Channel Africa remembers Mama Winnie Matikizela Mandela. What's the best way to help people escape poverty? Might it be simply to give them money to spend as they please? This is the underlying principle of universal basis income and a trial is underway in Kenya in which 200 villagers are signed up to the scheme. So how is this free money changing people's lives? Are the villagers intent on investing and starting businesses or as some critics suggest, does it simply encourage them to be lazy? The BBC's senior Africa correspondent Anne Soy has been to Western Kenya where the trial is taking place to find out more. Pilista is winnowing beans using a traditional tray made of woven straws. She is throwing the pulses into the air outside her house and the wind blows the chaff away. When the money came, I said, eh, God loves me. I have found people who give me money. I have never seen anything like this since I was born. Felista is one of thousands of Kenyans who are receiving free cash as part of an experiment on ending poverty. In her village, all adults are sent $22 each per month through their mobile phones. She remembers the moment the first stipend arrived. 
I thought I was dreaming. I still didn't believe it was true. I looked at the phone again. I had the money. And it was everybody. The money was coming in. Everyone was asking, have you seen it? And the villagers will continue receiving the money for 12 years and spend it however they want. It's a concept called universal basic income. Michael Fay is the co-founder of Give Directly, the organization that's running this project. The study will include three basic arms. In one arm, everybody will get the universal basic income for 12 years. In another, people will get the same monthly payments, but only get them for two years. And in the last, people will get a one-time payment equal to the size of all of those two-year payments combined, but it will be in one lump sum. The study is funded by foundations and through private donations. Felista's village has been receiving the cash for 18 months now, and already it's having an impact. I bought some hands, a mattress, two bags of cement, seeds, my son's school fees, and fertilizer. But not everyone believed the study came with no strings attached. The theories was that when we get this money, there will be a big snake coming in the house. Your son or daughter will die. But we found that they were just myths and stories. Irene is a kindergarten teacher at a school in the village. Susan? You Grace? She is taking the roll call inside a dimly lit classroom. Many children are absent today. They were sent home because their parents have not paid school fees. But those from the free cash village are all present. There's a big difference because people from our village will find their children have paid school fees. And even from the look of the children, you see their children are smart. Maybe the child has got full school uniform, socks and shoes. Irene's life has also changed. Even when school fees aren't paid, meaning she doesn't get a salary, she isn't worried. The regular income she doesn't have to work for from the research project is helping her plan her life better. We'll be back over the course of this study to find out how she and other villagers are doing. That report by the BBC's Anne Soy. A three-day meeting of Southern African Development Community Defense and Security Chiefs aimed at curbing rhino poaching is underway at the Kruger National Park in South Africa. Among other things, the countries in the SADC region are working on standardizing their laws in dealing with rhino poaching. Mtobi Simkalipi has more. Rhino poaching remains one of the challenges faced not only by South Africa, but also by other countries in the region. While a lot is being done to curb rhino poaching, various countries believe that 
the prosecution of poachers needs to be standardized. They believe that some countries are giving lenient sentences to those convicted for poaching. Speaking on the first day of the meeting, Minister of Environmental Affairs Edna Molewa stressed the need for punishment of poachers to be standardized. I think it is good also to indicate that internally in the country there's already integratedness and integrated operation way of operating. So it shouldn't be difficult to also do the same in the Sadak region its entirety, especially because we are one people. We have already had such uh, agreements, protocols together in the past. It's a matter of finding one another and allowing space for sovereignty and respect for other nations, but within that piece of legislation, harmonize whatever we do. General Khotselini Morake of the Botswana Defense Force believe that the multilateral meeting will play a crucial role in the fight against rhino poaching. It's important to harmonize the legislation so that um, the poachers should not realize or be able to run away to a different country expecting more lenient sentences. So they should see that it will be as difficult to poach in any of the Sadek countries and we will get more or less the same sentences. General Philip Sibanda from the Zimbabwe Defense Force says they are learning a lot from other countries such as South Africa. We come as a, an affected country in terms of poaching and together with the rest of the countries here we are trying to find a solution to this problem because uh, the laws are not as strong in some countries as they are in others. Among the countries that are taking part in the meeting are Zimbabwe, Zambia, Mozambique, Namibia and Botswana. Meanwhile, just over 1,000 rhinos were killed in the country last year, a slight decrease from the previous year. At least 500 of them were poached in the Kruger National Park. The South African National Defense Force has been supporting the sand parks in its fight against poaching since 2010. I'm Tobisim Kalipi, Kruger National Park. The golden-winged warbler bird populations have plummeted in recent decades even as conservationists have rushed to secure their breeding areas in the Appalachian and Great Lakes regions. Using cutting-edge trackers, researchers recently discovered that the problem could be deforestation on the warbler's wintering grounds and they suggest widening habitat conservation to South America to counter the species' decline. For more on this, Channel Africa's Wandile Kalipa spoke to Ghana Kramer, a researcher at the University of Toledo in the U.S. and first author of the paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Yeah, so golden warblers are a migratory songbird species. They're a small migrant that breed in North America and spend the winter in Central and South America. And they've been declining in portions of their range and we haven't been able to really know what's been causing those declines. And so what we, what we did is we tracked a bunch of these warblers from their breeding grounds to their non-breeding grounds where they spend the winter and figured out that the declining populations are wintering in areas in northern South America where they've experienced a lot of habitat loss and forest loss that coincides or kind of uh, is happening at the same time as these declines. So it seems like where these birds go during the non-breeding period is limiting their population. The threat to the bird species, is it climate change or are there any other factors? Yeah, so climate change is definitely something that will likely play a role in this as well. 
but, you know, just this idea of urbanization and, you know, deforestation, large-scale clearing of natural native forests for things like mining or farming or agriculture, all of these things are kind of coming together and potentially having negative effects on the population size of golden-winged warblers. How's the breeding process of these uh, golden-winged warblers? They breed. They're tiny little birds. So what they do is they fly north in the spring to North America. They find areas that are a mix of shrublands and older forests with big trees and kind of a mix of, you know, big tall trees and smaller shrubby areas. And then they build their nests on the ground and they lay four to six eggs in a nest. And then they take care of their nest and their young until they fledge or leave the nest. And then the adults continue to care for their young for about 30 or 40 days. And then they split off and they stop caring for their young. And the young and the adults migrate back south to Central and South America for the winter, but they don't migrate together. They migrate separately. And so the young are actually migrating on their own without any assistance. These findings, what is it with regards to the way forward for these birds? You know, what it means for conservation of migratory birds is that, you know, migratory birds are common around the world. Migration is a really common kind of strategy that has evolved. And with the changing climate, the rapidly changing landscape due to, due to human-led, you know, human-induced factors like landscape change, uh, land use change, forest deforestation, farming, all those things. That was Gana Kramer, a researcher at the University of Toledo in the U.S., speaking to Wandile Kalipa. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. A number of workers at retail giant Chappies in Botswana have picketed in front of the Westgate Stall Mall before they were threatened with whips and chased away by the police. They were protesting against poor welfare and conditions of service that they said Chappies continue to subject them to. While the company later released a press statement distancing itself from the development, the incident became a reminder to Botswana on how a larger number of its nationals find themselves squeezed between rising expenses, stagnating wages and thin work benefits. A correction in real house price growth in South Africa continues with the growth remaining below general inflation. The latest FNB house price index for March shows that house prices in South Africa grew by a slower 1% year-on-year. This is down from a revised 2.7% in February and from 2017's high of 5.1% reached in November. Commodities trader Trafigura has signed an off-take agreement 
for cobalt hydroxide until December 2020 with Shalina Resources and its subsidiary, CHAMF, based in the Democratic Republic of Congo. CHAMF produced about 5,000 tons of cobalt last year with the production set to rise to 7,000 tons this year. Kenya's advanced electronic waste recycling company, Enviroserve East Africa, has lauded the office of the Auditor General for highlighting grave risk that improper disposal of electricity bulbs is posing to the health of unsuspecting Kenyans. While commenting on Kenya Power's successful efficient lighting project, the Auditor General's office had advised the electricity distributor to consider end management for bulbs to lower mercury and lead poisoning. Kenya Power is expected to launch an expanded phase of the efficient lighting project involving energy-saving bulbs. OPEC oil output fell in March to an 11-month low due to declining Angolan exports. Now, the organization of the petroleum exporting countries pumped 32.19 million barrels per day. Last month, OPEC is reducing output by about 1.2 million barrels per day as part of a deal with Russia and other non-OPEC producers to get rid of excess supply. The U.S. dollar trades at 11.86 to the South African rand. It's at 9.41 in Botswana and at 9.32 in Zambia. 7.1 pence to the British pound, 8.1 cents to the euro. Gold 1,330, platinum 911. Dollars per ounce. So the price of brand crude oil is at six eight dollars three five cents a barrel. I'm Toby Solohoko for Channel Africa. Our sports updates up next with Figile Lingwati. We begin with Commonwealth news this hour. South Africa's Henry Schumann upstage triathlons all-conquering brown lees with Commonwealth Games gold as the English brothers were left trailing this morning. Schumann, third behind Alistair and Johnny Brownlee at the 2016 Olympics, seized control on the running leg to win it in 52 minutes, 31 seconds, 7 seconds ahead of Australia's Jacob Bethwistle. Scotland's Mark Austin took bronze, while Johnny Brownlee dropped back to finish 7th, and Alistair Brownlee, who had hip surgery last August, was 10th. In the women's event, world champion Flora Duffy claimed gold for tiny Bermuda, and Canada's Joanne Braun took bronze just a month after breaking her shoulder in a bike crash. Duffy, the 2016 and 2017 world title winner, stormed to victory in 56.50 seconds to end Bermuda's 20-year Games medals doubt and become the island's first female medalist. A 30-year-old who will also compete in mountain biking powered away on the 5-kilometer run to win by 43 seconds from England's Jessica Liemoth, with Brown coming in 5 seconds later. 19 gold medals are up for grabs on the opening day of the Games, which feature more than 4,000 athletes from 71 nations and territories. On to local football. South African Premiership side Golden Arrows beat Cape Town City 1-0 
at the Cape Town Stadium in Cape Town last night. Lerato Lamola scored the winning goal a few minutes into the second half when he got onto the end of the good Danny Fenter cross. Eros coach Larson says it is a huge win, even though it may not have been pretty. He says that City are a great team and they knew they would be a tough game. And a very ugly one as well. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, I said, uh, for me, looking at the composition of this uh, Cape Town City team, I uh, punted for them to go close to winning the league title. I feel they've got a very well-balanced, very experienced team. And we were expecting a tough game here today. Listen, we would have been happy with a, a point, to be honest, because uh, they are a quality team. I think Ben is doing a fantastic job. Um, but um, I thought in the first half we were very, very poor. You know, um, every single time we won the ball, we gave it straight back to them. Our passing was very erratic. Um, we gave them too much space. Um, Patosi gave us a problem playing just behind, uh, starting a little bit higher up, but then dropping into the space behind our two defensive midfielders. We sorted that out midway through the first half and got Zuke to man-mark him. And uh, we neutralized his threat and he lost his, uh, his influence on the game. What looked like it could be a share of the spoils quickly changed after Kaiser Chiefs snatched a goal from Free State Stars in stoppage time. Last night, the two sides battled out in an upset premiership match at the Gobble Park Stadium in Bethlehem in South Africa's Free State Province. A full 90 minutes went by with both sides struggling to break the deadlock. Chiefs defender Teenage Hardebe scored the winning goal with seconds left on the clock, making it impossible for Stars to catch up. Stars assistant coach David Villagazi says, conceding at that time means it is all over. Disappointing because we prepared for that. Uh, we didn't deal with the situation properly, I think. And then, uh, you know, it's a killer. If you go and consider that the time of the game, there's nothing you can do. It's difficult to come back. Uh, unless if you're going to be lucky, but I didn't see us getting that luck. Uh, we consider that time you did. Uh. And... South African rugby side Toyota Cheetahs will be looking to take another step closer towards the Guinness Pro 14 final series when they face Welsh side Cardiff Blues at Toyota Stadium in Bloemfontein, South Africa's Free State Province on Saturday. The last time the two sides met was in February this year with the Cheetahs losing 2025 at the Cardiff Arms Park in Wales. Cheetahs coach Rory Duncan sees the game as crucial. This is a critical game. Obviously, with Cardiff, you know, barking our heels. The focus is there. We obviously the players understand the importance of this game, and um, obviously we've tried to prepare as best as possible, you know, to take these guys on on our home ground. And finally, it's ongoing. The Masters champion Sergio Garcia took almost two decades long to win his first major that was widely expected when he burst onto the scene as a precocious and a, a talented teenager in the late 1990s. Gacha says it does feel different returning to Augusta as a title holder. It is a different feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy to come here and say, ah, oh, yeah, I'm just training like any other tournament. And uh, it's, the majors are the majors because of that, because they're different. And, and Augusta, it's, it's, it's even, even more different and, and, and more spectacular. So that's the way you want to take it. But, uh, but when you go out there, you know that it's, it's going to be a special week. And, and this week, for me, it's even, even more special because of, of being the defending champions. That's the Sport News this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa tuza Africa amka na unai Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa AU Chairperson pays tribute to struggle icon Winnie Matikizela Mandel. Former South Sudan political prisoners join opposition alliance and health experts call for fresh strategies to tackle antibiotic resistance. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Khomuzomo Pulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Zolani Mkiva with a song titled United States of Africa. Oh, my God.